Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Dry Run Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at dryrunbaptist.org. Good morning and welcome to church. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. My wife gets kicked, punched, elbowed all the time, constantly. And you all know that that my life is crazy and she's uh, a million weeks pregnant as of today. (laughs) Yet, that's why there is this pumping, punching, kicking, beating on a constant basis because of all of those things and that those elbows and knees heads shoulders knees and toes whatever is being thrown at her is coming from our little boy in her belly and there men don't really know anything about pregnancy until they have to read those books that happen and and even then we don't really know a whole lot about it or what it's like or anything like that. So one day we were sitting in, in, in the bed and I was talking to her and I said, and all of a sudden he, he went wild and he started kicking, punching, headbutting, whatever he's doing inside her stomach. And I said, so, so let me get this straight. He basically pokes you and kicks you at random constantly. She said, yeah. Absolutely. Just all the time. Now, she, she's learned that she can lay on her right side and he really does not like that. So he will kick her until she rolls over off of her right side. So she's figured out that that is what causes the kicking and the harassment is laying on her right side. The rest of the time, it seems like random harassment with no point to it at all. I mean, how would you like it for no reason? You're sitting there at work. Somebody comes by and pokes you in the rib, elbows you in the side, constantly, randomly, awake or asleep. You try to go to sleep, and then all of a sudden someone comes by and you get an elbow in the belly, a jab in the side or the stomach. Eventually, you wouldn't stand for such random harassment. Unfortunately, though, many of us view our life like the difficulties and the problems that we have are random harassment. Like it's, there's no point to it. And and if you're like me, when I get down, I can't see the good. I can't think of a time when it's not like it is, right? When you get in, if someone is in severe pain, you can't just go, hey, think about it when it does, think about how it used to not hurt like this. Think about that. No. If you're in pain, you can't just go in your mind to a place. And you, you remember like what life was like before it hurt like that? Absolutely not. No, I can't remember when my back didn't hurt constantly. Because of my advanced age, I'm not as old as some, but certainly older than others. 
on their way home in the, in the van last night. The kids were like, so how many are you? And we went through the math. And they're like, yeah, you're old. Thank you. Thank you so much. But we can't remember when things didn't hurt like they do now. When I get down in the problems of life, I can't remember what it was like before that problem. I can't just go to another time in my mind. I can't remember the good times before. And, for, and remember that it's not always going to be like this in this moment. It's, it's not always going to be like that. But here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says life is it's not random. It's not random harassment. It's not always going to be good. It's not always going to be bad. There's a pattern of both. Verse 1, he says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So life is a series of seasons that you go through. It is not random. There is an ebb and a flow to it. He makes that point in verse 1. What you're dealing with today, you won't always be dealing with. Things won't always be like this. This is all in the context of vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Meaningless apart from God. No matter where you search. You won't find what you're looking for in this vapor. But let me tell you for a minute about this vapor. There's going to be good. There's going to be bad. This passage, he turns for a moment for us to think about how we're going to spend this vapor of a life that we've been given. He says you're going to spend it several different ways in various seasons of your life. Maybe right now you're in a season of singleness or marriage, employment, retirement. It's not always going to be like that. The good news is the bad that you're dealing with won't always be there. That's the good news. The struggle won't maybe always be there. The bad news is the good things you have right now, they won't always be there either. So that's the good and the bad. But there's a structure and allotment to what we're going through. Listen to how he elaborates on this in verse 2. He says, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Clearly wasn't Baptist. Here's what we pick up in that, that for everything under the sun, there is a pattern. There's a pattern to this. Verse 1, we notice that there are time limits and phases that we're dealing with. We're going to go through them. And then he elaborates in this poem in verse, beginning in verse 2, with things that are polar opposites. From birth to death to war to peace in this. And what he's talking about in these seven pairs is that there's a range here of human experience. Everything from birth, from the cradle to the grave, from war to peace. Time to plant, pluck up, kill and heal. All of it's going to be there. And I don't think Solomon is reinventing the wheel here. 
Your mama probably told you to be, there'd be days like this, and there'd be days like this your mama probably told you about. He's not saying something that we don't already know, but we would rather laugh than cry. We would rather dance than mourn. But our life is going to be full of both joy and pain. I think we have lived long enough to know that. But this is a helpful reminder that seasons are subject to change and they won't last. As Zach Eswine put it, the weather changes under the sun. The weather changes. We need to understand that if we're going through a season in our life, it won't always be like this. Our kids won't always be little like they are. We might not always be single. Our spouse might not always be alive. We won't always have the jobs we do or live in the places that we do. Maybe we're planning a lot of things because it's not time to harvest. Maybe we're experiencing birth or death. Maybe. He's saying that these are seasons of our life, that there's birth, death, war, and peace. And these are things, a lot of which are out of our control, that are happening to us. He's not saying that you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and you're it, and use them as a license to kill. Right? It says there's a time to kill. So, or I'm at Texas Roadhouse and they overcooked my steak. So I'm going to call the waitress over and go, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there is a time for war. Where is your manager? Right? I mean, there's stuff that we can control for sure. But a lot of this stuff we can't change. It's stuff that happens to us. We don't want to be caught unprepared, though, in this. We don't want to do that. I had a friend who, some of you know, his name was Flip Flop, and his nickname was Flip Flop because when, no matter what the weather was, Flip Flop would wear, get this, flip-flops. He'd wear flip-flops. No matter how many feet of snow on the ground, no matter what the thermostat outside was set on, he would wear flip-flops. You probably know somebody like that, right, that's committed to their (laughs) outfit, no matter what the weather does. They're committed to it. You recognize the people who do this, and you realize there's, there's some, we understand the folly there, right? Of the, like, I knew a guy from, he was from Michigan. I used to go to church with him years ago. Man didn't own a coat. And we're all weaklings because we do. You know, like, the man always had short sleeves on. We understand the folly in that, that The weather changes and what we wear ought to change based on the weather and we can stomp our foot in the ground all we want and we just won't be able to feel our toes. We're wearing flip-flops in the snow. 
That's folly on our part, that we're not changing and adapting to all of these things. No matter what the song says, you don't want to be the kind of guy that laughs at a funeral. You don't, you don't, want, to, you don't want to be that. It's inappropriate. Everyone else is mourning and, and you're laughing at the situation. We, we need to be people who, who know this spectrum, know these seasons, and adapt to it. He goes on in verse 5, there's a time to cast away stones, and that's either talking about the ancient Near Eastern war tactic of placing rocks in a field of your enemy so it won't grow, or what happens between a husband and wife in the bedroom. One of those two things is true about verse 5, and it would make sense that intimacy would be the thing that he's talking about in verse 5, because he continues it in the second half of verse 5, that there's a time to embrace and a time not to embrace. So it makes sense why those two things were together. So you shouldn't go to your waitress and quote Ecclesiastes chapter 3, but maybe you should go to your spouse and quote Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But here's the problem in the second half of verse 5. Husbands don't know a lot of things about life, but I have learned this much when someone doesn't want to be hugged, like your wife, and you try to hug that person anyway, it's not as fun as it sounds. You know, like... When a hug is unexpected, when, when they think they're getting a handshake and you go for the hug, that's awkward. And when you, they don't want to be hugged and you try to hug them anyway, that is the beginning more of, of like a wrestling match than affection. That's why in verse second half of verse 5, there's a time to embrace and a time not to embrace. And you know what? You want to be the kind of person that knows the difference. You want to be the kind of person that knows when your spouse needs a hug and you need to know when they want to be left alone. This fool up here doesn't know the difference. <laughs> now, we want to know how the weather changes under the sun and adapt our lives. Verse 6, we go further in these seasons and, and realize that they're difficult. Um, there's a time to seek and a time to give up looking for what you're trying to find. Right, It's Sunday morning and you're running late and you're looking for your comb or your shoe. You want to know the time when it's time to stop looking for that. And to get on with your day because you're going to be late for church. Just in our lives, we want to know when it's time to keep looking for something and when, when it's time to stop. Time to collect things, time to declutter your house so you're not a hoarder. Time to tear and a time to sow. If you're looking at these, it's always it's not always cut and dry like that. Like if something is need, whether it's talking about clothes or land, you know when it's time to sow, right? You sow at a certain part of the year and you harvest in another part of the year. You sow your sweater when it's already torn. But life's not always cut and dry like that. Also, it's not always comfortable because if you look at verse 7 it, in the second half of verse 7 it, there's there's a time to speak and a time to close your mouth if you're somebody like me you need to know that there's a time to close your mouth and if you're an extrovert there's a time to close your mouth and if you're an introvert there's a time to open your mouth and you need to do that in the time that it's appropriate 
whether or not you're comfortable with it or not. Your silence doesn't mean that you have to be comfortable with it. It means it's called for. Or you're speaking, it doesn't mean it has to be a comfortable thing for you. It means that it's called for. That's what he's saying in this, that there are times when it's going to call for these things. We don't want it being our comfort or our preference that determines how we respond in life. We want it to be the season that we're in. We see this pattern under the sun that it has these seasons that are worth adjusting to. And then in the midst of this poem, there's a season for everything. He asks the rhetorical question again, what are you getting out of all your work? There are all these seasons that you're walking through and there's work that you're doing and what are you getting out of it? The the answer is the same as it was previously. You're not getting out of it what you thought you would get out of it. So he pulls back the veil and he talks about who gives us this work, who is controlling the weather of these seasons is the same one who gives us these work, this work. In verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in his time. So you could say, if you wanted to be clever, that you, what everything you deal with, you deal with for a reason and for a season. I'm less clever. I'm saying for everything that you deal with under the sun, there is a pattern and a plan to that. A pattern and a plan. We see the pattern that there's good and bad. Sometimes they come at the same time. Sometimes they come at the same time. Life is not a good season followed by a bad season. There's bad and good in it. And yet that good and that bad, so to speak, is not random harassment. And not insignificant. There is, they're ordered in specificity according to a plan of God. That's what he said in verse 10, that God has given the business of the sons, children of the sons of man. Because though the seasons change, they could be meaningless work for all of us. They could. But here's why it doesn't have to be vanity under the sun all the time. He pulls the veil back, right, from the black and white seeming pessimist that's writing this, and he pulls it it back in verse 10, and he says that God has given the business to humanity. So these things are from the hand of God, and he's made everything beautiful in its time. So he said of this short, meaningless vapor, apart from God, there are seasons of life in it changing here on earth, and where does this weather come from? It's from God. God's in charge of the weather and the seasons of our life. This business that we've been given is business that we've been given from the hand of God. So just because this is life under the sun that he's describing doesn't necessarily mean it has to be life apart from God. We realize that it's life given from God in verses 9 and 10. It's it's life given from God. You're Job doesn't have to be meaningless. Seasons of death, silence, hate, and war doesn't have to be drudgery because it's from God. He told us here in the passage, there's a time for everything, and God is the one who makes the watch tick. That's what he's saying. 
That's difficult to be reminded of. We live in a world of transition and change. The only thing that stays the same is everything changes. Everything changes. God is the one who's given us this business, and it's a part of his plan. The very fact that death is part of the business given to the sons of children of man is difficult. The grand context of things, that death is a result of our sin. But in this passage, it's something that will happen to all of us. Right? We'd rather not, but there's a time to die. (laughs) He goes on, there's a time to kill. As one commentator puts it, this is talking about legitimate taking of human life and illegitimate taking of human life. This isn't just this isn't a prescription, right, for you to take human life. It just says that's it's part of life. It's just a part of the way things go down here. Life is complex. That's the business we've been given, and He God is the giver of it. It's talking about the sovereign control of God over the affairs of humanity. And now in the church, we describe this word, this as Sovereignty, or something like providence. John Piper wrote a book called Providence. And in his book, he writes the picture that Solomon is painting, described in Genesis chapter 22, in which that God has called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. That's what it looks like in Genesis chapter 22. So God, so Abraham gets Isaac and the stuff that it takes to to make a sacrifice and they head up the mountain and Isaac asks Abraham where is the sacrifice to which Abraham responds God will provide a sacrifice and Piper in his book points out that this providing in the Hebrew is talking about God seeing to it God's going to see to it that there is a sacrifice. Now, that same thing in the seasons of our life, the whole range of human experience here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, all of these things are from the hand of God. And God will see to it that these seasons change and that this business comes from him, what that business is going to be. He's giving you these things. What is God doing in his providence? What is he doing in seeing to it that that your life goes a particular way? Well, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. So he tells us that for everything under the sun, there is not only a pattern and a plan, but a purpose for those things. There's a pattern, a plan, and a purpose. Meaning death and killing, hate and war, there's time for all that. You're going to have to deal with it. But they're all from his hand. They're all from his hand. He's not going to send them your way and saying adapt. But he himself is working in these things. He's working in ugly things to make them beautiful. That means there's not really godless toil under the sun. Not really. 
but sovereign working of God in our life to turn situations that you would not choose for yourself, potentially, some that you would, some situations that you wouldn't choose for your worst enemy. Those situations, it's saying he is working all things to good, as Romans 8 would put it. Here in Ecclesiastes 3, he's made everything beautiful in his time. Romans 8 does say that he is working all things for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This means that situations and circumstances that are coming our way, that we pick or not pick, it doesn't mean that they're beautiful. It doesn't mean that they have beauty in them. I'm not saying you have to be able to find it. I'm just saying that he's working it toward beauty. It's clear as a bell in these verses that under the sun there's this pattern, plan, and purpose. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with these things. The sheer presence of death, or when we'd rather keep silent, when we know we should speak. Time of war, the absence of peace. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it does mean God is making beauty out of war, death, loss. That's what it means. Yes, there can be beauty in death and war. But only God is the one who's able to do that. In verse 10, the difficult thing in these verses is verse 11 does say he has made everything beautiful in its time. It says he's put eternity in the hearts of man. That's what he's done. He tells us how to respond. He's put, also, he's put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So God is working out these situations in time, in its time. Yet what we're dealing with, with in a world of death, loss, and war, he's put inside us a yearning that goes beyond all of these seasons, that goes beyond time. He's put eternity into the heart of man. So we struggle, we might struggle with the season that we're in, realizing that the pattern of good and bad by the plan of God for the purpose of God, that he's put something in us that will make us uncomfortable in this world that we're in. You see in verses two through eight, seasons of our life. You see in verse 11, second half of it, that he's putting something in our heart that makes us yearn for something beyond our life. Do you see that in the text? He's putting something in us that makes us want to go beyond time. It also says in the second half of verse 11, the difficulty is, is that we can't find out what God has done from the beginning to end. So this is a struggle, right? We're in time, yearning for beyond time, but we can't really fully understand what God is doing yet in us he's put something in us that makes us uncomfortable with his world under the sun so that we might seek the next world above the sun c.s lewis put it like this in his book mere christianity he says if i find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that i was made for another world he says death I must never get snowed under 
relevant today, right? Snowed under or turned aside in this world, but make it my object to press on to that country that is beyond this one and to help others do the same, right? We don't want to get stuck in the seasons that we're in. You don't want to keep hold on to summer, right, with those flip-flops to where you walk out into the snow, have to have your toes removed. No, you don't want to do that. But realize that inside you there is a desire that goes beyond this world in these seasons. He's made us like that. Know that it's just a season that we're dealing with, right? Know that this is temporary and that in your heart is a desire for the permanent. And yet, the struggle is real because it's a mystery for how God is changing the weather and bringing us into the eternity that he's put in our hearts. It's complex. He's put us in those situations. That's what he's doing. And this is countercultural to what we're dealing with, isn't it? Because we think that it is God's desire to make us comfortable in this world. That's what we think, isn't it? No. Yet what we find him doing is him changing the thermostat in this world, making us uncomfortable in these, season, in these seasons so that that desire in our heart leads us to live differently under the sun. Ultimately, that's what we find him doing in our hearts and in our lives, that he gives us a desire for a place that is not this one. However, this American prosperity that a lot of us are living in gives us amnesia from certain parts of the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11 said, the people who trust God know that they're strangers and exiles and aliens on the earth seeking for another homeland. Right? That's what the scriptures describe us as Christians. We endure seasons of loss, death, mourning, and war. He's in charge. He's making it beautiful. And he put us within us a desire for that beauty. So what do we do with it? With the purposes of God that we might not fully understand while we're exiles and aliens, we don't belong here. But what do we do while we're here? Well, he gives us three ways that we ought to respond to God's providence in the world in verses 12 through 15. He gives us three ways that we need to respond. The first one is, is that we do his work. Look at that in verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. To have joy, good works, and that's how we ought to spend this vapor is doing good to our neighbor not only that not only doing his work but enjoying his world the little things in it verse 13 says we should eat drink and take pleasure in our work it's God's gift there will be tragedy and triumph do not forget that the weather is going to get going to change don't get caught up in the weather Enjoy the little things while you have them. Take pleasure in what you're doing. That's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Have joy, do work, be grateful for God's gifts. That's what he's saying right here. Verse 14, 
Why does he do that? Because verse 14 says, we should take joy in our work, because verse 14 says, what God does lasts forever. Lasts forever. So when you enjoy your work, it's best if your work is his work. Because what God does lasts forever. So the work that we should do in the world that we're in should outlive and outlast the season that we're in. There's something that we should be doing today that outlasts the season that we're in. And Ecclesiastes paints a picture here of people in time with a desire for eternity doing eternal work. That's what we see in Ephesians, or Ephesians Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So what kind of work are we doing that outlasts the season that we're in? God's in control of, of these things and what he does lasts forever. And why does he do what he does and how do we respond to that? The third way is to be in awe of him. So do his work, enjoy his world and be in awe of him. Those are the three ways. So he that controls the weather in our lives works in the storms to make them beautiful. And why does he do that? So that we might be in awe of him. So that we might fear him is the way he words it. So that we might reverence him. So that we may respond to him rightly. Here's what that means. That you ought to be changing your clothes as the weather changes in your life as opposed to grumbling about the storm. That's how we ought to apply this. We ought not grumble about the weather. We ought to change our clothes. We ought to change our clothes. Are we holding on to the season we're in because we particularly like it? Are we the kind of person that would wear flip-flops in the snow? There's folly and pain in that. Are we trusting that God is making everything beautiful, even if it's ugly right now? Or are we busy, like I am often, grumbling about the ugly in our life? Grumbling about the ugly. This passage would change, would challenge us to be in absolute awe of a God who plants a rainbow after a storm. That's what he does. Promises that he's working all things for good. That to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you know how Romans 8 tells us that we can know that God is working all things to good for those who love and are called according to our purpose? In Romans 8... Well, it, there is the golden chain of redemption, as, we, as theologians call it. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, etc. Right? That, so he's talking about the salvation of the believer. He's going to work all things out to our good. He's going to save us. And how do we know that he's going to do all of those things? What is the proof of this? The proof of his working, the proof of, proof of our salvation. What is the proof of these things? Show us. Show me, show me what you're going to do. Like, give me a little hint. Romans 8.32 tells us. He says he's given us his son. We can know that God is working all things together for our good. He's saving us. He's given us his son, and he asks this question, how will he then with him not graciously give us all things? 
What's the proof of this gift of him working all things out? Of making all the ugly eventually beautiful? The Lord Jesus. That's it. How do we know that God's working in our lives regardless of our season? That he's given us his son? That's what he's done? You see, he's holy and set apart from all of his creation. And we... The Bible says all like sheep have gone astray, meaning we've rebelled against God and decided to live for ourselves, running our own life. And the Bible calls that sin. Do you know what God did because of our sin? He loved the world and he gave his only son. God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus who lived the perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. I explained it to our kids last night on a van ride. They're act, they asked about all the bad things I've ever done in my life. That's a long list of the bad things that I've done in my life. I went over a few with them. I've taken things that I, I shouldn't have taken. The Bible calls that stealing. I've lied before. I've told things that, that weren't true. And I didn't, I didn't obey my mommy and my daddy. That's, that's what I did, a few of them. And then I told them that what happened to me was that I went to God and I told him that I was sorry for all of those things. And that I wanted him to save me from them and forgive me. So they keep, they, they wanted to go over the list of everything I've done. So I, I hit a few, right? But then I told them what happened is that God took all of those things away. I did all of those things and more, but he took my sin upon himself. So yes, I have done those things. You have done those things. But God became a man in the person of Jesus and lived a life that we never lived, and he died on the cross for our sins. And he rose on the third day. And he took our sins on him. That's what he did. He took the bad things and he put them on him. And he died and he rose again on the third day. And we are commanded to turn from our sin and trust in what God did in his son for us. That is what we're called to do so. How do we know? If you're not a Christian, you need to turn from your sin and trust in him. But if you are a Christian, how do you know that he is making beauty out of the ugly? How do you know? How do you know he's doing that? He's given you his son. He's given you his son. The most precious thing, one in all creation of the world, is the sun. I read the kids uh, a children's book at night, and one of the errors in it was that God gave his son to get back the treasure of his people as if the people are the treasure that God is trying to get back. But in the artistic nature that their daddy is, when he reads the book at night, he changes it. Because God's treasure is not the people. 
God's treasure is the sun. And God gave his treasure for the bad people. That's what I told the kids last night. He gave his treasure for the bad people that he might change them and save them. So the proof of God bringing a rainbow after the storm is that he gave the, the son, the son who is the heir of all things given to a bunch of thieves. That's how we know that God is doing this because of the son. The most beautiful one in all the world was given to a bunch of ugly people who live a bunch of ugly lives because God is making everything beautiful in his son. Trust him in the midst of ugly. Trust him when it's ugly. Trust him when it's hard because he's worthy and he's beautiful. He's making everything just like him. He's put off judgment until that day. Just wait. That's what he's doing. Trust him in the midst of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of your son. That he is wonderful. Everything can be ugly around us. Turn our eyes from the ugly to the beauty of your son and how you're making everything beautiful in its time. That's from you. That is you. Do that in our lives. Give us grace to trust you while you do that. In Jesus' name, amen.